It is indeed good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So we are in a sermon series on the glory of God. Asking and answering the question, what is the glory of God? We said that God's glory is the sum total of his attributes and perfections. So we are taking the time to investigate some of these individual perfections that are specific to God alone. Each week I take you to a different country via our title slide. We began in Nigeria, have traveled to Senegal and Brazil. This morning I take you to the Balkans where Clay and Ruth and their family of eight are focused on holistic discipleship primarily via the medical community. I am so thankful for them and for their ministry. They established the very first pediatric ER in their country. I'll say it over and over again that there is no higher science, there is no greater subject to muse upon than the glory of God. The great uh, Baptist preacher in the 1800s in England, Charles Spurgeon, said that theology is the queen of all sciences. Theology, of course, is the study and the contemplation of God himself. Remarkable proposition in both the Old and the New Testament is that though we never can and never will fully understand and comprehend and grasp all that God is in this life, we are indeed called to know him. Not just to learn information about him, but to know him personally. To walk with him, to love him, and to serve him. Indeed, a key truth in the New Testament is that when we are born again, when we become a Christian, God himself lives within us. We are sealed and indwelt with the Holy Spirit until we see the Lord Jesus face to face. And so the great undertaking in this sermon series is to know who God is. Notice when I talk about God, I'm not merely sharing neat ideas from other people. The content of the sermons is is not mine from the great minds of philosophy or philosophers in ages past. But rather, as always, as we develop our thoughts and base our studies about God, we do so in God's word. That might sound like an obvious statement, but the living word of God is our straight edge. It is our foundation. If we are going to know who God is, we need to go to the place where God tells us about himself. So to that end, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn right about to the middle to Psalm chapter 90. The subject matter this morning is the eternality of God. Now that is not a word that we use often. It is impossible to use this word in relation to anyone or anything else except for God. 
One of God's attributes is that he is eternal. It is true of nothing and nobody else but him. So here is a simple definition of the word eternal. This is from the Oxford Dictionary. There's no controversy regarding its meaning. Every dictionary will, re- will render a similar meaning. Lasting forever, without end, or beginning. That is what it means to be eternal. Lasting forever, without end, or beginning. Now, the key part of this definition is actually the last part. For something to truly be eternal, it not only has no defined end or death, but also no beginning. This truth begins or belongs to Almighty God and to Him alone. No one else can claim this for themselves. So let's read our text this morning that uh, Jeff has already prayed us through. Psalm 90, the first two verses. This is a psalm of Moses, so it's older than David's. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world... From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It is a profound declaration from a man who had such a high view of who God is, who indeed walked closely with him. In fact, as we have seen recently, he had glimpses of God that no one else has ever had. The fellowship he had with God at the top of the mountain must have been breathtaking. We won't read the entire chapter, but Moses is contrasting God with everything else around us. People people come and people go. We do not live forever on earth. We may think that we are God's gift to the world, but in reality, our lives are short And truthfully, full of hardships and heartache. The psalmist says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The one who lives as if God is not there. The one who does not order his or her life according to God's truth. The Bible says that person is a fool. We have many pursuits in life. Some are noble. Honestly, Some are foolish. But the consistent commentary and reality is that people eventually return to the dust. Our lives have a shelf life. We do not live forever on this earth. As James tells us, our lives are but a vapor. When we think of all the grandstanding rulers and dictators and athletes throughout history, the truth is they eventually have died. The obvious contrast that Moses gives here is that God is not like that. He is other 
than. He is in a class by his own. There is no one who predates him. There is certainly no one who will succeed him. There is no transfer of power at some point. To the contrary, God stands alone as the one who has no beginning and no end. This should not be a surprising attribute of God. When we stop and think about it, we can see that he, of course, is eternal. Really, that's what makes him God in our minds. Now, the background for this slide is a picture I took in Kazakhstan six years ago. There is something awe-inspiring about being surrounded by such grand mountains. It never gets old. It is no surprise that Moses uses the mountains as a mental image to describe the fact that God is eternal and that God is our refuge. Coincidentally, I've heard from four of our brothers from Kazakhstan this morning. Alexander in particular sends his love and his greetings from Kazakhstan. Now, the beauty of studies like this is that we learn more about who, who God truly is. At the same time, the common pitfall can be that we gain knowledge in our head that never makes its way down to our hearts. We don't live according to the knowledge that we have about God, but if you've been here long enough, you know, I hope, that our intent is never to simply gain knowledge that doesn't work its way through us and express itself to those around us. When we talk about discipleship, for example, we often say in regards to reading God's word, what truth is there for me to learn and what truth is there for me to obey. Now, there are three essential truths and practical applications that I would like to submit to you this morning in regards to God being eternal. These are designed to prevent us from merely gaining knowledge, but also developing a heart disposition in regards to this truth. The three that we will discuss this morning are simply this, worship, Comfort and trust. Trust perspective. So let's begin with worship. Moses begins this psalm by referencing and acknowledging God. This psalm is not about Moses. He is not here to promote himself. He is here to talk about God. And that is always the proper way to begin. If I am to properly follow Christ and build my life according to his word and his truth, let it first begin with worship. It is true that worship ultimately is what we do, not just what we think or say on a Sunday morning or sing. But worship does begin with the mind. It begins by setting the mind upon the truth. Why do we worship God? The answer is obvious. He is worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration. He is infinitely more wise and powerful 
than we are. Worshiping God is not just an event or something we do at a certain point during the week. But it's a disposition of the mind and the heart to humble ourselves before Him. To walk in the fear or in the reverence of the Lord. When we truly worship God, it has a natural effect of keeping us humble and also walking the straight and the narrow. And when we talk about God being eternal, it is important to stress that he has no beginning, as I've said, and also no end. Eternity spans infinitely in both directions. But there is an important proposition that the word of God makes. God does not simply exist for eternity. As Moses said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity past to eternity future, he is God. What are we saying? We're saying that God has existed eternally in all of his perfections. Every single one of his attributes have been present and they have not changed, nor have they developed over time. God is almighty in eternity past and he is not stepping down anytime soon. He does not have a successor. There is not someone that he is eventually going to pass the baton to. From infinity in both directions, he alone is God. And he alone is worthy of our worship. Which is why the book of Revelation so vividly portrays all of this. When all is said and done... When the Lord Jesus has returned and taken us up to be with him. When the new heavens and the new earth are created. He is God. He rules forever and ever. Now let's put our minds to this for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation. I literally just want to read two passages. Revelation chapter 4. Just immerse your mind in this beautiful worship. Verse 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives Forever and ever. Do you see how his attributes are inserted into their worship? 
They cast down their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things, another attribute, and by your will they existed and they were created. Chapter 5. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, the Lamb, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Oh, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped you see this really is the end the desired end of studying and contemplating the glory of god that it would evoke such worship within us now yes through eternity but now God was God before the first angel was created and he will always be God into eternity. We said this before, angels are not redeemed. They do not sing the song of the redeemed. The fallen angels who rebelled await their judgment. It is only sinners such as you and I who are redeemed and sing the song of the redeemed. Let us not wait until we get to heaven to lift our voice with all that we have and our heart to ascribe worth to God and to worship him in all that we say and in all that we do. The second truth is comfort. As we worship God in all that we do and as we declare his greatness, there is an aspect of God's eternality that is arresting and very moving. It adjusts our perspective. And truthfully, it yields such great comfort in our thoughts and in our lives. At some point in our lives, we have likely said or been on the receiving end of that great parenting line. Trust me, I've lived longer than you have. I've learned a thing or two along the way. There's actually remarkable wisdom wrapped up in that simple statement. When you are 15 years old, you actually don't know everything about the universe. 
parents have some wisdom to pass along, the same is true when kids go off to college or start their adult lives. There is a tendency for some to think, and we've all been there, that we know it all. There is great wisdom, of course, in listening to the older generation because of the wisdom they have amassed. Now, I don't mean for this to be a silly statement, but if God inhabits eternity, think of the wisdom that he has. As we said earlier, our proposition is that God's perfections have always been. I'm not insinuating that he developed wisdom. He is the all-wise God, not because he has lived longer than we have, but because he is God. He has always been perfected in his wisdom. We sometimes make jokes about the fact that we don't obey God immediately. Maybe we're stubborn. I think we should stop doing that. The wisdom that God gives us, as James says, is the purest. It is the most holy and we could, that we could ever encounter. And there's no laughing matter when we scorn that, when we ignore it. We should not make light of ignoring God or bucking his truth. But we should align ourselves and our lives accordingly. He is the ultimate father and he is good. But the angle that I would like to take regarding this concept is simply the amazing comfort that we can find in knowing and reminding ourselves that God is eternal. He literally predates every single problem that you have ever encountered in your life. He has been there before the problems you will face tomorrow. He sees the beginning from the end. And we know that at nothing, absolutely nothing, takes God by surprise. Now this, this concept of comfort flows naturally into our third truth, which is trust. We can trust God completely. That is definitely an aspect of maturing and growing in the Lord. Trusting him more. Trusting him more deeply. When we talk about trusting God, I would include the perspective in general as we walk with him in life. Many of us grew up being taught this wonderful truth from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So much wisdom is wrapped up into that statement alone because God is eternal because he is all knowing and he is all wise. We can and we should trust him implicitly, not just with our thoughts, but with our heart. The trajectory of our lives should follow the fact that we trust and we have confidence in God in both the little things and in the big picture. We trust, when we trust God, we find that he often untangles the confusion in our life or our lack of clarity. And as the scripture says, he makes our paths straight. God is dependable, 
as we saw a few weeks ago. He does not change. Which is why Moses says in this psalm that God is our refuge. He predates the mighty mountains that might be our backdrop or whatever other part of creation that, are, that inspires you. He made them. When you look at, into the sky at night and you see all the stars, we know that God predated and created every single one of them. Does this not inspire you to trust him more deeply? Even in your most challenging situations. As your brother in Christ, I can tell you, it is hard sometimes to trust him. It doesn't come naturally sometimes. Which is why the scripture tells us to do just that. Does not that old hymn tell us explicitly... Are we weak and heavy laden, encumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. It is true. God beckons us to bring our cares to him because he cares for us. That is a constant theme all throughout scripture. God has big shoulders. Let us trust him and help one another and encourage one another to trust him when our faith is weak. Particularly for those of you who are visual learners, I encourage you to take an image like the one I flashed up earlier and post it where you will see it often. Whether it's mighty mountains or the galaxies in space or whatever it is, to remind you that God is eternal and that we can trust him in everything. In our passage, Psalm 90, verse 4 says this. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. That's God's perspective. When we think sometimes about a problem or a trial that is before us over the next week or two or maybe a couple years or even a span of years, it can be overwhelming to think that we have to deal with that in the future. But we forget that God is outside of time. And we can trust him completely. Let's close with this tremendous verse. Verse 12. In the same passage. Psalm 90. In light of all that Moses has said about the eternality of God. He says, so teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. The exercise of considering the fact that God is eternal is designed to have an effect on us. That we would remember that we are not eternal. That our days in this life, on this earth, are limited. 
when we ponder and reflect upon the eternality of God, it should both humble us to the dust and bring us great comfort. As you consider this great perfection of God, please put your life into perspective. Do not run after lesser things. Do not be deceived into following lesser things. Our God is great and worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of our very best. When life does not make sense, we do know that God is making all things new. When life is hard, we despise the trials, but we know that living for him is worth it. Because God is using those trials to make us more like Christ. God is worthy. The ancient of days is worthy of our praise. In Hebrews 6, when God has sworn by himself his faithfulness and fidelity to us through the gospel... It says he cannot swear by anyone greater than himself. That's who he is. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer? We've talked a lot about God this morning, obviously. We've talked about the Lord Jesus. The simple truth is that by nature and by birth, we are separated from God because he is holy and we are not. The wonderful, simple, powerful, good news in the Bible is this. Christ Jesus died for sinners. He is the way. He is the one to reconcile us to God. The one who bore our sins. The one who bled on the cross. The one who died and was buried. And has risen again. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, Revelation refers to the gospel as the everlasting gospel. For a reason. He's the only way. If you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Lord God, this morning we do worship you. We thank you. We bless your name. We love you. We adore you. Thank you for your kindness. And for your mercy that you have shown in sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To become sin for us, he who knew no sin. That through faith in him and in him alone. We might become your righteousness through him. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved.
Oh, Lord, we know that we face challenges and difficulties and heartaches. And so often they feel overwhelming. They feel as if they will never end. Please help us to gain comfort and encouragement this morning. In remembering that you, our great God, our heavenly Father, you are indeed eternal. Help us to trust you more deeply. To take comfort in these truths. And of course, as we comfort ourselves and encourage one another in the Lord, let us be good news to those around us. Let us live selflessly to serve you and others. Mindful of the brevity of life. Mindful of the weight of glory before us. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.